0: Welcome to today's episode of Pennies and Popcorn. We're going to do things a bit differently than we normally do. Instead of picking a television show or a movie and riffing on it and talking about all the fun things we can learn from it, we're going to take pieces of a lot of different television shows and movies. Back in July, Carl and I, the Pennies and Popcorn team, we got the chance to present at a conference, and uh, we're going to play our talk from that conference for you.
1: Yeah, so the conference we went to was called Camp Fi.
0: It was awesome, by the way.
1: Yes, if you guys have not been to a Camp Fi yet, we cannot possibly encourage you strongly enough to go. This was our first Camp Fi. We were like maybe a little bit nervous going in because we'd never done one of these things before. First like personal finance conference of any sort. But everyone was just extremely welcoming and we learned a good bit, I would say. Some of the talks were fantastic. But mostly, we just had a great time hanging out with other like-minded folks and just kind of soaking up inspiration to live your life to the fullest and you know chase big dreams instead of uh, just focusing entirely on the money. So for a money conference or a money-centered conference, I feel like the big takeaways were not as much about money.
0: Yeah, it's less nuts and bolts and more about the human side of things. And in fact, we just bought our tickets a few minutes ago for Camp Fi Rocky Mountain Session 2 next summer. Yeah,
1: July 7th through the 10th of 2023, we will be at Camp Fi uh, Rocky Mountain. So we are extremely excited to go back. Can't wait. Uh, Steven, the guy who puts on Camp Fi, big shout out to him. He just does a fantastic job of bringing people together and putting on a super fun weekend.
0: So the show today is our talk. From that campfire experience over the 4th of July weekend this past summer, it was recorded in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> You'll be able to tell for multiple reasons. One, there are some gaffes that we laugh about when you're speaking in public, you might say something funny. I think, what'd you do, Carla?
1: So <laughs> he was explaining what the expected salary is for a criminal defense lawyer. And I think I said, the word lawyer instead of salary. So I was like, your expected lawyer for a criminal defense lawyer is $80,000 a year. Uh, so yeah, if you catch that one, good on you. Cause I didn't catch it at the time.
0: <laughs> and I'm sure I did something equally silly, but also the audio isn't perfect. It was not recorded in front of our standard podcasting setup. And instead it was recorded with a, a lavalier microphone for you. Yes. And, uh, no microphone for me, just what was picking up on your microphone. So the video of this is actually probably more effective than just our audio, and we'd encourage you to go check it out on YouTube.
1: Yeah, you can find it on the Camp Fi YouTube channel, and we will put a link to that in the description of the show, so you can find it quickly and easily. And yes, poor Robert, your audio is not quite up to snuff because you are like leaning over to talk into my microphone <laughs> Um, so yeah the audio is less than perfect there's also a visual element to the talk we put up slides for everybody but don't let that dissuade you from listening to this as an audio episode because you'll figure it out trust me it's it's uh it's not racket science you won't be missing too much without the visuals but the video is also fun so definitely go check that out if you have the time
0: yeah so I don't know if we have much more to add other than to roll the tape of our show from back in July. We hope you enjoy listening. We hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving and we'll catch you after the break.
1: Yeah, Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll catch you next week. (laughs) Well, just to start off with, thank you guys so, so much for having us here. This is our first campfire and we've been totally blown away and just had an absolute blast. Um, So I think we know everyone's name by now, but just in case, we are Carla and Robert. um, And we are the hosts of the podcast Pennies and Popcorn, which has been a runaway success with my parents. Um, Actually, I don't think Robert's parents have listened to even a single episode, so we can't even say our parents. Um, But we've had a lot of fun putting this together. and. We, as Steven was saying, the influence of TV and movies is really powerful and it's something that kind of bubbles under the surface a lot of the time. So we're going to talk about the influence of TV and movies on our psyche and the effect that it can have on our lives in general and in particular, our pocketbooks. So a little bit about us, I think we've told some of you guys our life story by now. Um, but in 2019, we pulled the plugs on our jobs, mine working at a big law firm. Robert's working as an energy engineer, and we took off to go have some travels and just kind of the adventure of a lifetime, or at least our lifetime so far. So this is us backpacking on the Pacific Crest Trail, giggling (laughs) happily in front of the 500-mile marker. Um, Then we road tripped up to Alaska. That's us hanging out with an adorable sled dog. Um, And then we hopped on a plane and went over to Europe. So that's us hanging out in front of the Louvre with Robert's really long hair because he didn't, (laughs) Cut it for six to nine months. months Yeah, really long time. No shaving, Uh no anything. It was the look of freedom. We liked it. It was fun. So,
0: if this were a television show or a movie, that's what you would see those fun pictures there. The reality of our life, of course, was that we spent 12, 13 years in offices like these. I don't know if any of you ever took pictures of your offices. We didn't, it was really hard for us to find them. This was like when we were moving offices at different points in time. That's
1: why they're empty. But
0: this is the reality of our life. We struggled and saved and worked really hard for you know a dozen plus years. I think over that time period, we took one vacation together that was longer than a three or four day weekend or sandwiched something to the edge of the holidays. Um, but we worked in these offices, 50, 60, 70, in your case, Carla, 80 hours a week at times for weeks on end uh, with your big law job. And if this were a television presentation of our lives, I don't think you'd see much of this. You might have one clip or two on it, and it's an unrealistic portrayal of what life is really like.
1: So the first thing we wanna do is acknowledge that all of you are like Ron Swanson walking into Home Depot, right? You guys know more than us, and we know that. So we know you feel like him. Uh, In case anybody doesn't get this, this is a Parks and Rec reference. He's like a super master woodworker, walks into Home Depot, Uh, is asked by someone, can I help you? And he's like, I know more than you. So, uh, Yeah, we know that you guys feel that way looking at us and it's totally true. You guys are like deep in the weeds on the 4% rule and like Roth IRA conversion letters. And I mean, talking to you guys, you've already taught us so much. So we are not here to preach at you and we know that you guys already know that movies and TV has an influence on you. But we're here to just have a little fun, show you guys some crazy examples of just how bad it can get, and hopefully give you like a little bit of a sharper eye.
0: That's right. So for us, we left our jobs, we went hiking, living in the woods, and we saw scenery like this for months on end, beautiful places, hundreds of year old churches in Europe, whatever. And we came back to this. And I think this is what we think of, you know the Lexus December to Remember sales event or the Slap yes. Chop guy. Um, that's what we think of when we think about the way that TV influences our lives. And we certainly got a wake-up call when we came back to visit family after that journey and we're like, wow, we did not miss this part of television. But it goes a lot deeper than that, just like Stephen was saying. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna show you some examples and we're looking for some audience participation here. What we're gonna do is flash a screen, a, a house on the screen from a television show or a movie and invite you to try to guess where it is and we can talk about whether or not it's a realistic portrayal of life. Wow. So, <laughs> oh, everyone's right. This one was kind of an easy one, right? Uh, so this house is in Winnetka, Illinois. You can actually stay here, it's an Airbnb. Um, it is worth about $2 million today. We don't really know what the McAllisters did. We know they took a fancy trip to Paris around the holidays, but we really don't know a whole lot about their lifestyle. But I know for us, we bought our house in the suburbs of Dallas, and one of the things that attracted me to it was it's a big two-story house, nowhere near this big, nowhere near this
1: expensive. Yeah, cut off a zero, and that's about what ours costs. Yeah. yeah. But it had
0: the same like huge store, you know, front on the street that was just really enticing, and I felt so proud that this is. This is what a successful family needs to live in. It really influenced me. And that first Christmas we were putting lights out or the first Halloween when we were decorating things, this really yeah. was something that drew me to it. What about this one? Oh, oh, so yeah, I never so already so guessed it, right. it before we put it there. <laughs> uh, you are correct. So this is a home in San Francisco. It's worth $3 million. Well, Danny Tanner, he had a good job, he worked for a TV studio. He was a sportscaster at the beginning, and I think he had his own morning show in the later seasons of the program. And Uncle Jesse and Uncle Joey living in the basement taking care of the kids, helping out. Those guys, you know, a comedian and a musician, they weren't paying any money for rent or anything like that. When I was a kid, I certainly thought it was totally reasonable for a middle-class family to have a home just like this in the heart of San Francisco. I no longer have that delusion. <laughs>
1: Yeah, okay, everybody knows this one, right? So this is like the prototypical example that everybody thinks about when they think about like wildly unrealistic TV portrayals of what people can and can't afford. So it flip-flops a little bit throughout because the show was on for 10 seasons. So it changes. But for most of the show, this apartment is shared by Rachel and Monica. You can see with the two doors, it's a two bedroom apartment. Rachel works as a waitress at the Central Park Coffee House. Her estimated salary was somewhere in the range of like $25,000 a year. Uh, Monica was a chef, which was a higher paying job, but her salary is estimated to be somewhere like $80,000 a year. And you can see this is what the estimated rent is for this apartment in Greenwich Village, New York, $8,000 a month. So some pretty basic math even splitting it like these two women cannot afford to live here. Yeah, it is flat impossible, let alone with all of the shopping and the going out and, of course, the coffee habit that we see on a regular basis. Now Rachel worked at the coffee shop, maybe she got hers for free. But, I mean, just otherwise, wildly unrealistic portrayal of what finances are like in real life. Okay, this is, this is a tougher one. I was hoping this might stump everybody. Does anybody recognize it? Yes, good job. I wish we had a prize to give you. I'll I'll knit you something later. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, this is the the Netflix show, Grace and Frankie. So what you are looking at here is their second home. This is a vacation home that they purchased for a cool almost 27 million dollars. So it what? so here's, this is the realistic part. Two families bought it together. So it's only like 13 million a piece. I mean, this is actually really reasonable. No, I'm kidding. So uh, the two couples that bought this, they are respectively a divorce lawyer and an artist. The average salary for a divorce lawyer is about $80,000. Now you can do a lot better than that. You can also do worse. Where do we have our family lot? I don't know. What do you guys think? So, <laughs>
0: is this in reach?
1: <laughs> yeah. You guys are doing this next weekend, right? You're going to go shopping for this? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that is the average salary for a divorce attorney. The other couple was a divorce attorney and an executive of a cosmetics company. So maybe she was bringing in the huge, huge bucks. But we also see their primary residences in the show. They are also quite swanky, both of them separately. So to have two super, super nice primary houses and then this $27 million beach house just is mind-blowing and this is never discussed on the show it's just presented as like normal don't you have a beach house in malibu (laughs) so okay what about this one this is my favorite no it's it's not the brady wunch. it is not it's not Mm -hmm. it is not our house but i wanted it to be our house (laughs) (laughs) so Yeah, so this is a in a very, very nice part of Dallas where we did not live, but I was working a job at a big law firm, right? And we were influenced by the TV and movies, and this is what lawyers were supposed to do, right? You're supposed to have the nice car, and you're supposed to have the nice house. And we were living in the Home Alone house, as Robert liked to think of it, but it was not the Home Alone house. It was in a kind of funky area of town, it was the kind of place where you'd be like eh, do i tell my coworkers where i live they're not going to be impressed they're going to think it's weird so i really wanted us to buy this house now it was not 1.1 million at the time i was pushing for it it has appreciated a lot but still it was very very expensive at the time that i was really wanting us to buy this house
0: yeah i think it's 2011 <laughs> it was before we discovered Phi, and thank goodness we were just frugal cheapos who decided on our own not to go for our money after this, because I think it would have set us down a really dangerous path. It would have been hard for us to unwind that lifestyle if we really got into it. Um, speaking of lifestyle, we're going to move from houses and look at a few other things that you see on uh, television movies about lifestyle. So
1: you can keep guessing if you want to, but you don't have to. <laughs> so you treat yourself.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> so this is Donna Meagle from Parks and Recreation with her Mercedes-Benz uh, 350 here. <clears throat> Uh, it is worth almost $60,000, brand new, and she adores this car. She takes great care of it, all of her co-workers seem to love it, they have a lot of fun with it on the show. But the reality is Donna's an office manager in Little Pawnee, Indiana, and she can expect to make somewhere between forty dollars and $50,000 a year in that job. I see so many people coming out of school that buy a brand new expensive car that costs a huge percentage of their salary. This is. A year and change worth of her salary and it's completely ridiculous but it's presented as completely normal on television and supported by the people around them
1: okay anybody recognize this one yeah yeah so this is uh like a pretty big show recently on netflix the lincoln lawyer Um, it's called that because he's a lawyer who drives Lincolns, it's a very literal show. Um, (laughs) if you, uh, it was highly recommended to us, I would not highly recommend it back to anybody, it's wildly unrealistic and not just about money stuff. Um, but... Yeah, he is driving this car, which you can see is estimated at about hundred and nine, hundred and ten thousand dollars. It's a very expensive car. And this is one of like five or six cars that he keeps in this like super nice garage. He's basically like the Jay Leno of Lincoln's. He has all these fancy Lincoln cars. So the average, he's a criminal defense lawyer, and the average lawyer for a criminal defense lawyer is about $70,000 a year. Now, he's doing a lot better than that. He's representing big, high-end clients. But if you're someone watching the show and thinking, Maybe I'll be a criminal defense lawyer. It looks fun. I'm in court all the time. I never have to do any like hard work behind a desk. And I'll obviously be making enough money to afford a fleet of Lincolns. That is just completely untrue. That is not what you are likely to end up with as your life if you go into criminal defense. Everybody recognizes this lady, right? Yeah, this is Miss Carrie Bradshaw from Sex and the City. Um, rocking an outfit that is estimated to cost what? over $29,000. Yeah, this is like a bunch of internet sleuths have figured this out and pieced it together. This is what this outfit would cost. That was like
0: $5,000 yeah. like 5, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, <laughs> and she wears this. I think she's going to some kind of like, you know, nice event, but it's not like the Met Gala or anything. Um, and she's a freelance writer. And she's supposed to be making you know, roughly $40,000 a year, at least in the early seasons. And she does a lot better in the later seasons, but still, she's not making the kind of money where you can just drop 29 grand on an outfit that you're maybe gonna wear once or twice. I think she actually does wear it twice over the course of the series. Um, so it's fine, it's only 15K per wear. Uh, but yeah, clearly these numbers make absolutely no sense, right?
0: That's right. Um- And you see here, Penny from The Big Bang Theory, it's not just high fashion, right? So Penny is seen here wearing an ordinary shirt. And I think if you step back and think about it, anytime you see someone on the big screen, their clothes fit perfectly, they look amazing, it's tailored great, they're new. If it's a television series, it's almost always a new outfit every episode. And I think we all sort of set an expectation that this is what looking good looks like. And this is what Looking Good costs here. $260 for this simple shirt that she has. That, that's the retail price for this actual shirt. She's wearing it in a season where she's a waitress at the Cheesecake Factory. And as much as we all love Penny, she's not that good of a waitress. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not, she doesn't care about her customers that much. She might have earned $35,000 a year. This would be more than a day's wages for a shirt that, you know, she's got a new one every time we see her. It's, it's kind of ridiculous you recognize this boat? Pay attention to the
1: name. Yes, name. No? Nobody? You
0: ready? It is from the television program, Dexter. <laughs> so, for those of you who don't know, Dexter has an, a unique hobby. <laughs> he's a serial killer. And he goes and deposits his victims <laughs> at the bottom of the bay and takes this fancy boat out. Now, when I watch the program, I didn't really think a whole lot about this boat. He lives in Miami, he seems totally reasonable, but this boat is a quarter-million-dollar boat. It's a 29-foot motorboat that looks nice. Dexter is a blood spatter analyst, a forensic science technician. It would take four years of his income to go buy a boat like that. I mean, how many people see something this way and sort of think, look, this is totally reasonable for me to expect in my life without really thinking through you know, what they should have. It sets an unusual standard for us for the way we live.
1: Also, serial killing would be an expensive hobby. There's a lot of plastic involved you have to buy. (laughs) So all of this can leave you looking at the TV and thinking like, these are just clowns trying to convince me that all of this is normal, but it's just not normal, right? None of this reflects anybody's true experience, or if it does, you are in a heap of credit card debt. Um, It's just not a normal way to live, it's not a healthy way to live, it's not a good way to live. So I think it's really important to help pick these things apart, because young people especially are watching these and are very impressionable, and they think it's what you're supposed to look like, and what your life is supposed to reflect back to the masses. So, by order of the Peaky Blinders, we're going to give you some strategies for inoculation. Uh, No Peaky Blinders fans? Guys, no (laughs) no? Okay. So the first thing you can do to inoculate yourself from all of this subversive messaging that you're getting all the time is this, right? You guys are surrounding yourselves with people who are like-minded, who are not impressed by the flashy things in life, and who care about bigger and deeper things, you know, chasing big dreams and doing challenging things and not just wearing the latest fashions and driving the nicest cars.
0: That's right. For me, I think it's all just kind of funny, right? What I try to do when I'm watching this kind of media is step back and laugh at the hilarity of how ridiculous some of this stuff is. I, I don't think we go through watching a program without pausing it and say, can, can you believe that unrealistic portrayal? <laughs> yeah, and, and I think if you do that, you're sort of armed with the acknowledgement, right? It's not a surprise. It's not. It, it's decreasing the subtle influence that it has on your life. Uh, the other thing is we're, we're all here because we're interested in financial independence. We're, some of us are already there. Some people are along a fun journey. but you often have to think about why are you interested in phi. What are you really trying to accomplish with your life? What do you really want to do? And whenever you're making a big purchase or making big decisions or strategic pathways, taking the time to pause and consider your own personal why of phi is is a really helpful exercise. Phi is something that we don't see on TV or movies very frequently, right? It doesn't show up on the, the blockbuster lists very often. Um, when it does, it maybe looks something like this, like the Bluth family, where you know, outside of George Michael at the banana stand, nobody really wants to work, right? Everyone's just kinda lazy and, and afraid to do anything. Or it looks something like the Roy family from Succession, where you have a big business mogul family with the dad who runs this company, and you've got siblings who are fighting to take over uh, the company in the future, but you've got the older brother Connor Roy, who has never done anything in his life. He's so delusional, he thinks he's gonna be President of the United States and he's qualified because he's a member of this elite wealthy family. But he's, he's clearly financially independent. I'm not sure that this is the portrayal that any of us would like to see for five people on the big screen.
1: So kind of on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are presented as just like bums or trying to mooch off of their friends and get a freebie wherever they can, whether their friends want to give it to them or not. So we have Kramer like rooting around in Jerry's refrigerator taking his food from him, stealing his hot water, I think, in one episode. I mean, he's, we never get any explanation for how he's able to not work, but he never does have a job, and it's just this, like, no one wants to be Kramer, right? He's, he's, he's not a good role model for us to see on TV. We're this guy, right? <laughs> this is the dude from uh, The Big Lebowski, and he's just the absolute ultimate slacker in life. Again, he seems to be kind of struggling financially, and he doesn't seem to be motivated to do anything about it. He just sits around drinking white Russians all day. So I think when we were chasing financial independence, we kind of had this fear of like, this is what our families are seeing. Like This is who they think we want to be. And it's not, it's not at all.
0: Yeah, so we want to talk a little bit about our own fire reality. We, uh, we took the opportunity to leave Dallas, a place that wasn't really working for us, and move closer to the mountains. So you can see here in the upper right, me on a backpacking trip on a random weekend with our dog just a few hours from our house. Right, We had we had the opportunity to go do that. We chose where we live based on the things we really wanted to be able to do. We started our silly little pennies and popcorn podcast. If, if you haven't listened to it, I'm sure you can tell by this presentation that it's not the most serious podcast out there, <laughs> um, but we have a lot of fun with it. I really wanted to get involved with my local community, so when we moved to Longmont I joined the city's sustainability advisory board. Something I never really found time to get involved with back when we lived in Dallas. Uh, I get to help advise the city council and city staff on matters relating to sustainability, and you know, take care of a passion of mine and be really involved in the local community. And I realize that I'm definitely in the minority in this room, but you know, I miss my job. I really liked what I got to do every day. I'm an energy engineer, and I get to go help make buildings be more efficient and improve uh, schools and, and help underfunded entities make a difference. And I, I'm really passionate about it. And so there's a picture of me with some of my coworkers at a student engagement event we did in Colorado Springs a few months ago. Uh, I was recently interviewing for a slightly different role inside my team. And a director who was interviewing me asked me some question. I, I start off with my, my answer with, I'm here because I want to be here. And I think he interpreted that as me saying, I haven't gone to go work for a competitor and chase more money because I really believe in our particular team. And while that is a true statement, there's a lot more behind that i felt really empowered to go back to this job and do it the way that i want to do it and i don't really feel beholden to anybody for anything it gives me such a place of confidence to do it the way that i want it to and if that ever changes well maybe i can go experience fine more like the way carla does
1: so i have not gone back to a traditional job but my life is full of new challenges and just like happy joyful things so cutest dog on planet Earth. Sorry to any dog owners, but ours wins. Um, that's our dog, Miles. I go for a super long walk with that little guy every single day. Um, I've taken up a new hobby of knitting, made this shirt, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> super obsessed with it. Also, brought <laughs> knitting stuff, if anybody wants to learn this afternoon. Um, I have a Spanish group. We've been reading uh, books in Spanish. Right now, we're working on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in Espanol. Um, And I did sort of go back to work, so I didn't completely flush my law degree down the toilet. Um, I have a little baby law practice with one other lawyer and one paralegal, and we do immigration work, which is completely different than what I did before. But it's really fun, and I get to help people and see the effects of the work that we do will last for generations. People that get to come here and their kids get to stay here. It's incredibly rewarding. (laughs) And then I got through my work as an immigration attorney. This is my law partner and I with a couple other volunteers at a military base um, where we worked with about 50,000 Afghan refugees who had just come to the United States. And I had a chance to just talk with a lot of them and help them understand the American immigration system and hopefully find a way to stay here more permanently. It was incredibly rewarding and something I never, ever would have had the chance to do if I had still been working at my big law job. We have a garden, that's me holding a giant zucchini. Uh, By the way, they're not supposed to get that big, they're real mealy if they do, so cut them off sooner. Yeah, Um, but it's a fun picture. Uh, Piano is something that I completely love. I took lessons from ages like four through 19, and then I just kind of fell off the wagon and went you know, law school, working. Um, But I've gone back to that and spend lots and lots of time doing that. And I also teach a couple of students, which has been really fun and rewarding. And then I do a little bit of behind-the-scenes work with Carl and Doug on their Mile High Five podcast, which is what led us to starting the Fetties and Popcorn podcast. So I just have so many fun things going on, and I'm definitely not sitting around drinking white Russians all day. (laughs) Exactly.
0: So TV and movies are maybe not a real-life portrayal of regular life or five life either, Um, but that's that's our presentation. So as uh, David S. (laughs) Pumpkins would ask, uh, any questions?